1: Good afternoon, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the New Music Spotlight. Today's guest hails from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been a big fan of his now for a while. His name is Tuck Smith. The band is Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. How are you doing today, Tuck? Good, buddy. Thanks for
0: having me.
1: I appreciate you doing this. Uh, thank you very much. I've been very excited about the material that's going to be released. Um, I heard the, the new song yesterday, uh, just blown away by it. I've been watching the clips on YouTube of you guys, and uh, here we are. So let's, uh, let's dive right into it. Our first question to a guest every time they appear for the first time on the podcast is always the same, and that's the essence of the show. And just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you?
0: Um, I think that I grew up in the South and there's this TV station called PBS, and I used to play to rerun the whole movie. And I remember like, being really, really young. And there was a rerun in this movie called uh, Over the Edge. Um, and there's a scene in it where the kid runs upstairs. I've talked about this a bunch, but the kid runs upstairs and he puts his headphones on and two trick is playing. And I just remember being such a young kid and could relate to that scene and that music so much. And uh, that was like one of the first things that I really wanted to play music when I heard that. So that was like a serious moment in time. That and probably just riding around with my mom when I was really really young, and she's like a classic rock kind of obsessed with that. We she's always blasting ACDC, so those kind of young things
1: really stepped me up, you know, to fall in love with rock and roll. Was that the movie with Matt Dillon Over the Edge? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great movie. That was I, I saw that yeah, when sure. I was younger too. It was like this suburbia neighborhood and they were trying to tear down like the youth center and everything to make room for more houses and the kids rebelled against it and everything. It was yeah, it's that's a that's a classic.
0: Yeah, it, it was cool, but the soundtrack was dope. I you know, I went and rediscovered it way later on and realized, you know, I didn't know it was cheap trick when I heard it. I just thought it sounded cool. So um I went back and kind of revisited it and a lot of the stuff in that soundtrack I, I still love. But yeah.
1: Yeah, so where did it go from there? You, you you heard that? When did it become? You know, where was the moment that said, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna play guitar, I wanna perform, I wanna write music."
0: I don't think there was a moment. I just think that a, I had a pretty volatile upbringing, and I got into punk rock really heavy, and I started to want to. You know, I was a teenage delinquent. I wanted to rebel really bad. In high school, I was an anarchist. I was active rights activist, I was an atheist. Basically, anything that I could rebel against from my Southern upbringing, which was, you know, in the South, really religiously aggressive. Uh, there's still pockets of homophobia and racism, so I tried to rebel against all that shit. In the car, you know, I got in a lot of trouble. I picked school, probation, getting arrested all the time. Uh, so I really fell in love with punk rock, so there was never really a plan do this. I never really thought that I was ever even gonna sing or doing thing. I just wanted to. I didn't really know I was. Just, I don't know. I had no plan. But you know, you get into punk rock, and then you get into uh, bands like Generation X and the Buzzcocks, or the Clash, and you kind of dig deeper, and then you get into Alice Cooper and New York Dolls. So it was just kind of like a progression and um, playing
1: and working, and then you
0: know, I don't know,
1: man. The title track to the new album, What Kind of Love, uh, was released yesterday. And, you know, you have new material coming out. Along with the title track being released yesterday and the video, it was also announced that you are going to be on the stadium tour with Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, Poison. Talk about a great opportunity. Talk about, you know, great music that you're releasing. Let's start with the album. Uh, you know, the new song came out, fell in love with it instantly yesterday. What can you tell us moving forward about the album? When is that going to be released? Cool. Um, I don't think I
0: have a, the label has a tentative release date. It should be around June or July, but as far as I know, the plan is we're going to do singles every six to eight weeks leading up to it. <clears throat> and um, And as far as the album goes, it's really diverse material on there the first single is more of like a kind of arena power pop anthem Um, but there's some really kind of very 70s glam stuff there's a lot of americana stuff there's some motown things ballads it's really really diverse Um, and being my first solo record i didn't really have to i wasn't tethered like my old band was very tethered to a sound so I mean it still sounds like me but I think people are going to be surprised how diverse the record is.
1: What was the process of recording? I mean you had the band Biter's previous to this which I loved and you know that they you guys disbanded what about 18 months ago a year ago or something like that and Yeah. So what was that process moving from biters into this solo record with a new, you know, new band behind you. What was that process like?
0: It's Really long story. So I'll try to just hit the bullet points and I'll save all the details. One day when I do, like some kind of rock biography, autobiography or something. Um, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I think, you know, I don't, biters broke up. It was a lot of legal issues or a record label. Just There were so many things, involved to me where I was keeping the band alive as much as I could and at some point I just had to call it a day um, and I really kind of had to break it up to keep it on musically so I knew it was going to be an enormous task trying to do solo records and things but you know <clears throat> I snapped sm- Rob Cavallo, my producer, um, my manager did. Just like a stroke of luck. And I think Rob Cavallo knew who the buyers were. Uh, And I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Cavallo, but he did like massive Green Day records. he's did My Chemical Romance. He's worked with tons of bands. Um, And, you know, I was kind of really feeling destitute. And I went through a lawsuit with my my label, and it it just sucked me dry financially. I didn't know whether I was going to be able to continue going on playing music. Um, but I just started putting, you know, Rockball said he would beat me. I started putting flights on my credit card and going out there and meeting him. And he he really liked me. And he was like, I want to hear some songs. And, you know, I, been, I write constantly, So I have studio at home. So I have demos done that are pretty well fleshed out, completely done, full production. And he said, I want to hear some new songs. And we just went to his house, and I, I went to his little music room and I played him three or four songs. The first song I ever played him was What Kind of Love on an Acoustic Guitar. And he was like, Man, these are fucking great. Can you play that again? So it kind of went up from meeting him and blossoming back and him pushing me to write and end up writing 40 songs for the for, for the record just in solitary in my room. And I sorted off. Sometimes I would work seventy hours a week. I would just not move. I was just writing and demoing. I was obsessed because I had to stay busy because I was just, you know, so kinda of depressed about the whole situation. Um and, you know, Kavallo said, well let's go find somebody that's gonna help put up this record. And so I went and tried to find a record deal. And I don't know if you know this or not, but nobody is really signing rock bands today.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, no.
0: and I was turned down by probably like you know 40 labels and some of the big labels we would go to we go listen uh, here's a rock and roll guy he's got kind of a cult following for this half band a major producer signed on board let's make a record and, and I remember one particular big label that I won't name said um, oh we really like this and we want to work with Rob and these are cool songs but you know uh, hip hop and trap music are the biggest streaming numbers. So if we do this record, uh, we'd really think you need to put elements of trap and hip hop drum beats into your song. It's, and that was probably the biggest eye opener of how hard it was going to be to get somebody to champion this, this style of music in this record in today's musical climate. And luckily, uh, I found a home at Better Noise, they were 11-7, and Alan Kovac heard my demos, and he said he loved the songwriting, he loved the vibe, he wanted to start doing something different, he was going to brand his label different, and um, he really, really took a chance on me with this record, and I can tell you this, the label did not fuck with me at all on my songs. they let me write, they let me record the songs how I wrote them, they never said, you need to do this because this is cool, and go to radio. They gave me full creative control, me and Rob Cavallo, and I'm truly blessed because most rock bands don't get the opportunity. They got people hovering over them, telling them this is hot right now. You should add this. So, super lucky to make a, a actual, authentic rock and roll record. We cut most of it live. It was a lot of vintage gear. Um, it's about as true as you can get. So, that's kind of the short form answer to that.
1: You know, you said something interesting in there about the current state of music and the current state of rock and roll. I talk about a lot of this on my podcast about the importance of new music. And even though rock is never going to die, there's always going to be rock music. The fact that it's hard to gain traction and become, and and, and for the genre to stay relevant because you have record labels like you mentioned telling you that hey you know we like these songs but hey we'd like you to do this with that or you know you 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 look at you look at you know billboard magazine released their their top 10 rock acts for the last decade and none of them are rock acts and and you just you know, as a rock fan myself you see this and you get frustrated because i believe that there's a lot of new music by a lot of new bands like yourself and others that are creating great music and putting out stuff that over the last year to five years has just been phenomenal, and, you know, you hear that constantly. You hear the pop music. You hear the rap music. It is frustrating for a rock fan. I have to imagine it's frustrating for an artist, but at the end of the day, you found a home with better noise that allowed you to, you know, to take your vision and proceed with it. What do you think? No, I agree. I mean, I'm very blessed. Man. I got, I got
0: to do something that a lot of rock and roll bands don't get to do. I, you know, I didn't get to a bunch of pop writers or anything. Like the first two singles, uh, I remember the day I wrote them on the fucking corner of my bed. Um, and a lot of
1: people don't get that opportunity. I'm very blessed there. You talked about writing music for this album and, you know, leaving the biters. What did you learn from being in the biter biters that you believe helped you with this record?
0: Well, that's a really good question. When I started Biters I had no intentions. I just wanted to put out a record and play a little music. And when you grow up in a place like I did, you really think you have no future at all. And you just, you have no aspirations. It's a place where your dreams are just crushed. So, to me, I never had those big dreams. And so, with fighters, it was just kind of one step at a time. And we ended up developing like a cult following and underground kind of rock and roll scene. And we played every fucking club all over the country as many times, living in a van that are like fucking animals. Um, and we started gaining traction. And I started saying, man, I really actually think I could really do this. Let me focus. So, I would start focusing. And when we got signed to e Records, Records, um, we started really getting a lot of traction. and we made a lot of top 10s. We had uh, top 40 records in the UK and we were kind of blowing up overseas. And I think during that whole process, I got maybe a little cocky, maybe a little, I don't know, I started thinking too hot in myself. And I think this time around, I've kind of been beaten down. The music industry is kind of Uh, kind of put me through the ringer so I have a lot more focus and I know more what to expect so when I was writing this song when I sat down to write this first single for example I imagined it to be played in an arena I wanted a really big anthemic sound because I knew that I needed to make an impact so I just really wrote this album with the intent of it actually being powerful to a, to a bigger audience. And I think your intent is, is very important when you're creating art. So.
1: You mentioned after leaving Biters, you didn't know if you were going to make music again. What was it? How did you find it in you to say, hey, you know, I still want to create. I still want to do this. You know, and, and where did you find that within yourself or how did you get past that initial idea of, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. What was that process like? What was that evolution for you? Like, right. Um,
0: to be honest, man, it, like I said, it was really, really hard to this band. The buyers, nine years of my life, I put everything into it, um, and, you know, I don't come from money. I don't have rich parents. I don't have anybody in the industry. It was really mostly DIY and actually had a, a good team. And, and I can be really, really proud of that, building your own business, building your own brand. And When it broke up, you know, I was really, really lost, man. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I started thinking uh, I was going to go. I have no life skills either. You know, I don't have a college. I never graduated high school I've been all in rock and roll and I kind of found myself in this position where I didn't know what else to do and I think my goal was I'm gonna make a solo record with this batch of songs I've been writing and if nobody likes it and nobody puts it out it'll just be for me and on my deathbed I'll know that I created a piece of art just for me and that was the ultimate goal well then you start talking to Rob Cavallo and people get excited about it and it just kind of blossomed from there. One thing led to another. And I just thought like, I really got nothing to fucking lose. I got no band. I got no money. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I might as well just ride this motherfucker to the wheels, fall off. Um, and that's what I did. And I just kept grinding and grinding and writing and writing and pushing until the universe finally started to bend in my direction. Um, and that's about it man. Yeah. you mentioned it was no glamour no, no glamour story
1: but you mentioned you know growing up and you mentioned that punk rock influence and you you have the punk rock attitude i have to imagine that that attitude in itself and that influence that it had on you you know, took you from where you were after Biters and propelled you to where you are now and pushing forward with this new album, with the tour with Motley Crue and Def Leppard and all that. I think that has to resonate within you, right? I mean, that has to be part of your soul to, like, say, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, a lot of people, when they get down and trapped or feel trapped, you know, like they have no solution, you know, give up. And you you talk about your upbringing and you talk about that influence, like I just said, the punk rock. I have to, I mean, in in my opinion, just from hearing you and hearing your answers, that had to be a huge reason why this album came to be. I I mean, I agree. I just, um, I don't know if it's a positive or a
0: negative thing, but the way I was raised and kind of the things that happened to me put a really big chip on my shoulder. And it's sabotaged me a lot in my life and my career, but it's also really kept me fired up to keep going, uh, to just always prove people. It's gave me like a, a drive, like an obsessive drive that also has ruined relationships and fucked shit up, but it's also what's kept me going so, um, I'd rather have that than not. I don't know. I haven't really thought about stuff you're saying. I just, it makes sense though.
1: What about the band, uh, you know, Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts? Can you tell us about, you know, who's in the band and and how that came to be and how you guys formed?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <clears throat> I didn't have a band at all when I went to record. Um, Rob was super kind of stoked that uh, it was just me as a solo artist. And so we put together, like, the most amazing session musicians we could find. We handpicked rock and roll guys to play on the record. Now, Ricky Dover, who plays guitar in the record part, played guitar on the album. I did not know my drummer or the bass player at this point. I've never met them. I recruited them after the album was done. Um, So, recording the album was just fucking killer. We went in and cut a bunch of basics live in, in a really cool studio and then all the overdubs the second half all the singing I just went to a um, small studio in uh, Silver Lake no I can't fucking remember or Eagle Rock California and it was at Gerard Lee's house Michael McCormick and I just went through the vocals riffles and sax harmony and the... at this point I had the record done sounding great and then me and Ricky had the task of putting together a band now that was another mountain it is so hard to find musicians that want to play this kind of rock and roll that know the aesthetic, that know the vibe that are going to be able to play this style because, it, you know, this kind of music that I play is, is really stylized and it's not that popular with musicians. So it took me months to find these guys. And I feel like I was, they were a gift because I asked for a better band put on my doorstep and it, Super good musician, great guys, great players, and um, I think people are going to be surprised how good the band is.
1: Now they've been playing out with you in the shows you've been doing local there in Georgia. You know, I mean, obviously you're 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 working together with these guys. You're you're you know these are you know more or less warm up shows and 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 developing your your uh, synergy with each other. How has that process gone? I mean, has it been like pretty much, hey, you know, these guys are great. Everybody fits like a glove. And, you know, preparing for the tour, not just with Def Leppard, Motley Crue, but also with the Jesse Malin dates that you have coming up as well.
0: Right. It, You know, man, to be honest, it putting this band together and kind of keep it going has been a, a, re- a really big struggle. Um, because, the label wanted me to get a support slot on a really big tour before they started releasing anything. So so this record's been done for a year. So all these shows that I've done over the past year, we just self-booked ourselves. And I just kind of took that DIY thing. But, you know, it's really hard booking. It's really hard booking shows uh, without any music out. So we were just playing just to play to get stage time. And, uh, you know, you can can practice a lot, but it doesn't really make up for playing a show. But as far as playing together, the band's just been fucking killer, man. It's just been killer. They're stoked. I'm so blessed to have these guys. They hung with me for a year until this thing came out. Um, And that kind of loyalty, man, is something that I just super attracted to. I love loyal people,
1: Yeah, from what I've seen, just watching on YouTube, I'm I'm really impressed with just the band itself, the, the the songs, the small you know clips that I have seen. Like I said, I'm really excited about the record. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Um, and you know, yesterday when I when I started playing the song, you know, "What Kind of Love," I see you know on tour with with Motley Crue, the Stadium Tour, and and obviously there's the connection with Alan Kovac. What how did that happen? What was the process with that? Was was you know I, I have to admit I have to eat a little bit of crow because when the tour was announced, I was frustrated and upset that that tour didn't have a young act and an up and coming band on it because I thought it was a great opportunity for those two major acts plus Poison and Joan Jet to have that young act. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, you know, rock and roll and the state of rock and roll right now. And I think that's so important for these major acts to bring up and coming bands on tour with them. And when the tour got announced, I was like, oh, it's such a lost opportunity. It's such a disappointment. And then I see yesterday and I was just like I was stoked because of the song that you that you released. And then I was like incredibly stoked that you're gonna be on this tour.
0: I just there's been a lot of speculation and rumors even over the last twenty four hours on the internet of how I got on. A lot of people are accusing me of being a buy-on band, which I've never bought onto a tour in my entire life, and would never buy on. Um, Nicky Six gave final approval. He loved the record. I mean, you got to think about <clears throat> Death Leopard and Motley Crue. They have the same influences. We love the Sweet. We love Cheap Trick. We love T Rex. We love all that stuff. I know they can hear that, and I think. You have you have to be approved by the band to do this. So they obviously dug my record. Alan Kovac is championing it. And it's just I think you gotta these bands that are on the tour they're not gonna be around forever. They and there's gonna be no legacy. No bands that are gonna be able to fill arenas anymore. So I think bookers and promoters are starting to realize They need to start putting newer bands in the mix to start building their following so there's a legacy that continues. Otherwise,
1: it's really going to be extinct.
0: And I think that's kind of the current climate going on right now.
1: I have talked about that a lot about over the next 10 years, you know, by the time 2030 rolls around, these classic rock acts that are touring, the majority of them won't be by the end of this decade. And almost all of them
0: are dying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we just lost, you know, Neil Pert yesterday. Not to say that Rush was about to tour again, but 67 years old, you know, um, you know, and these guys are not getting any younger. They're getting older. They, they're still making good music and they're still performing, you know, to crowds all over the world. But like you said, you know, there's going to be a vacuum at some point where these bands are going to stop touring either because they have to or be, you know be physically or if if, a, if another member passes on or, or or whatever circumstance there is and there's going to be like you said there's going to be no other act that can fill an arena and bands need to do that bands need to bring younger acts out there and like I said at the beginning of the show there's so many new rock bands out there that are making good music that haven't been able to punch through and get that audience. I mean, they're playing small clubs. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I love going to see bands at the small clubs and, yeah. and, and and everything. That's great. But, you know, there has to be this, hey, man, you know, I love this band. I want to bring them out on the road. I mean, that's part of that band's legacy, you know. Um, you know, the fact that Motley Crue brought out the Struts on their farewell tour that was in 2014 or 15 and – you know, now it has you guys coming out there. I, I love that, and I appreciate that. But you're right; it's it's becoming extinct in the fact that yes, there will always be rock music played, but it will never be what it was unless these things start to happen. There's a lack of infrastructure with rock and roll. You know, we talk We I, I've I've compared it to country music. You know, country music, whether you like it or not, you know has a has their own channel, and um, you know, where they promote new bands. A lot of the older artists collaborate with the newer bands, you know, on their first record or, or a single or whatever to bring their audience into theirs. You know, there's there, there, there's there's country music radio in every market, three, three stations, two, three, sometimes four stations that plays new music. And country music fans accept it and they want more. Whereas the classic rock fan turns their back a lot on new music. And I don't get it. And I don't understand it because... Well, I-
0: well, I don't know. If, I don't know if they're turning their back. I think it, it's such a, a tangled web of promoters and money and bureaucracy and who you know and who's putting money into this. And labels and promoters do not like me taking chances right now because there's not as much money in the music industry rock music is not flourishing for none. It's not like hip hop where they're getting 50 million plays. So to them, at the end of the day, it's called the music business. It's a business. And a lot of people don't want to take a risk, especially on rock and roll. And they don't want to take risks by signing or putting a band that doesn't sound like something that's already popular. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. If if there's a band that sounds exactly like ACDC, and the band is simulating them, they're going to have more of a chance than an artist that kind of has its own vibe. Because a lot of the rock bands want their new bands to sound exactly like Heritage Act. So if you start trying to add your own flavors, now people don't want to take a chance on it. And We're in this really weird thing. And I think that's where uh, my label, they're kind of getting fed up with it. A lot of the press releases are saying, hey, let's stop with this cookie cutter shit. Let's sign artists. With a voice Let's build them up Let's artists develop them And make new icons For the future We're running out let's, let's start fucking Getting some balls
1: So That's great I mean we need more labels like that You know it used to be When I was growing up You know in the In the You know Early to mid 80s Into the late 80s Where you know Bands had Two, three albums to develop with the record label. I mean, you know, you you had their first debut, and then the, the the record companies really put time and effort into marketing them and supporting them. And I don't know when that changed. You know, I don't know when it just became if you're if it changed
0: when the when the when the bottom fell out. of
1: Streaming and, and see, streaming is fine,
0: but what happened was when when it started, the music industry didn't have any infrastructure to make up for that. the rug was completely swept out from under them. So now everybody's scrambling for quarterly revenue streaming. You you get paid every four months. So they want like songs or fair weather that are going to last for six months and rack up 50 billion streams. Nobody's in it for the long run anymore because they need that immediate tax, that turnaround.
1: Well, wasn't it, I I almost kind of feel too, like at the, end of that 80s glam era into the grunge era it became more of if you didn't resonate by your first single we weren't going to do another one you know and I think you know when the bottom fell out like you said it it almost became like it was on steroids it became that same type of idea but now like if, if, if you put out a song and if two weeks go by and nothing's happening we're absolutely done with you You know, it's like it's almost like what's 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 popular on a Friday or what's released on a Friday. If if it's not happening by Monday, see ya. you know. Um, And that's that's sad because. I'm a rock fan and and I've and I've loved rock music since I was a kid. There's other genres of music that I do enjoy as well. But I just I miss that where, you know, when you when you get a debut album from a band. And then you get the second record, and you see that evolution, you see that growth from the band. That was always a cool thing to see, and it's just, yeah, I, I you know, it, I'm baffled that rock music has become what it has come, become, in large part because of how the business is now. But, you know, I just, I, I, I hope it changes. I, I, ho- I really hope it does. And, and I, I think, I
0: think, I think people are gonna start people are kind of sick of the cookie-cutter stuff. I think that <clears throat> there's always been bands that have been sent to songwriters, right? But a lot of rock bands, new ones, you, you can't take the risk. So they're sent to songwriters and there's four or five writers on every single one of their songs. Now that, that's fine and all, but some of the greatest writers of all time have their own individual specific voices because they take most part in writing their songs. So everything is super homogenized. And I think if we, like you say, if we just let people develop their voice and write great songs, those are going to create this kind of legacy artists that are dying off.
1: And I also, you know, I had my son on the podcast. He's going to be 15 in a week, and he likes rock music. And I asked him, what are your friends listening to? And he mentioned, like you said, you know, hip hop, you know pop music and i said why do you think that is why do you think rock and roll is not resonating with the younger generation yet and he said i think it's because the parents don't want their kids listening to rap music so it makes them want to crave it more and i connect that when i was growing up and you know we we talked about that movie over the edge in the beginning you know And the music that I was listening to, my parents didn't want me to listen to. And it made me crave it more. I've often said that a band like a Motley Crue could not exist in today's social climate. And I'm I'm almost, I shouldn't say almost. I now believe that a band like Motley Crue or bands like that need to exist. There needs to be that danger element to the music. Or there needs to be something that, you know, makes a kid find it interesting or connects with it or whatever. And I think once right. once that happens, you know, once there's the rock star comes back and kids, you know, want to see whatever they say, whatever they do, you know, I, I have often said too, you know, if there's a PR person that's telling you what to say, you have the wrong PR person. The PR person should be like, you yeah. said this, you said this, okay, now we got to deal with it. And you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the social culture. Day people are afraid to say things or do things. And of course, you know, I, I think that all plays into rock and roll because rock and roll relies on a lot of those elements.
0: I agree, but we're in a really, really tumultuous kind of time. People really taking sides politically in things, and it's just we're going through growing pains with the internet. So but- I don't want to get out here and start talking about politics and alienate half of a potential fan base right now.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and so, like, if Motley Crue could not exist, especially, well, they exist today, so maybe you're wrong, that movie blew, blew the fuck up. Yes. And that was uh, really, really wild, and that resonated with the youth like crazy. So maybe we are surprised and
1: You know, I I knew something happened when, you know, like I just mentioned my son, when when he and his friends want to see that movie. I'm like, this is a band that, like, wasn't even on your radar last week. And now you guys want to see this movie. Now you guys want to, like, you're all about, like, oh, what's it about? Like, I heard all these things. And again, you know, it goes to the parents don't want you to see that movie. So it makes that kid crave it even more. We got to see it. Our parents don't want us to, you know, to watch it. And I think that element is important. I think that needs to really come through. And like you said, you know, you say something that alienates half of your fan base. I get it. You know, it is is it it is a tough time, you know, in terms of, you know, because everyone's picking a side. And I wish that didn't exist because I don't think it needs to be so tribal as it is. You know, in terms of rock and roll, because it, it was such, you mentioned growing up, you know, with the punk rock, you know, that's an element of rock and roll, too. It had that angst. It wasn't picking sides. It was just a basic "fuck you" to everybody, and that was hard rock and, and, and rock and roll back in the day too. It was a "fuck you" to everybody, and it's it's. It, I, I just think that that is one of the things that would propel, I think, rock music back into the limelight. If you had, you know, that that type of attitude again. but you know,
0: I agree with you at some level, and in another level, I think that because a lot of the the, uh, trap and hip-hop stuff, there's a place for it, and I enjoy some of it, but it's it's got such a, almost of a materialist negative message. I almost feel like the meaning of rebellion has changed in 2020. So to me, rebellion today is actually uh, trying to be a decent person and fighting for your beliefs and not just being a brain-dead party animal. I feel like that stuff kind of kind of killed killed rock a little bit I have a different take because I feel like party kind of wild lifestyle that's all what rap is right now and so the opposite rebellion of that is actually <clears throat> being a stand up motherfucker so we'll see I might have it wrong
2: yeah,
1: you know, I think a lot of that, you know, changed over the course, especially in the '90s into today, where it was much more serious and much more, you know, thought-provoking in terms of the music. Not to say that rock music wasn't. I mean, you look back at in in the late '60s with the with the war protests. A lot of that music propelled rock uh, rock and roll into the '70s and into the '80s. Um, you know, and it all began with that that counterculture <laughs> protest music with Dylan. And Hendrix and 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 you know Crosby Stills and Nash and all the acts you know that were in Woodstock doing all that, and you know you mentioned you know now that now the now the rebellion is being a decent person because everybody's gone to their corners and everyone's fighting for their own beliefs. The middle ground is gone. I don't want to get into politics, but I think that's a reflection on where the genre you know is kind of stuck, like you just said. And rap music is 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 more popular than ever, and they still and they have that rebellion and they have that counterculture type of attitude and style. I think rock and roll is it could, could, could take it too. I think they could find their lane and take it and get you know and, and and become that again. Just based on what you know, if we look at rap, if we want to compare it to rap. I mean, I,
0: dude, we just because of the internet and what's going on, I can't predict shit. I have no idea. Uh, what could be big, like, when you're trying to make music big and palatable for the mass audience, I just don't know. I think about these things and at the end of the day, I'll just sit down on the piano and just try to write a song that makes me feel good. That's about it. Or feel an emotion. I definitely, I definitely did a lot of drugs and partied and fucked up and had a lot of my friends die from heroin overdoses. Uh, a lot of them from suicide, from depression, from from drugs. So to me, champion kind of a wild party lifestyle is something I just don't want to do this point
1: is it champion a being a wild party lifestyle? i as as a rock star, it doesn't have to be like you know I, I mentioned Motley Crue, and maybe that's where the correlation is coming from. But what I mean is like, you know, the, the 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 artist that's not afraid to take chances or not afraid to say something that might be controversial. Yes. You know? That's hundred percent what we need. You're yeah. correct. True yeah. artist. Yes. And it has to True be a, artist. It has to be authentic too, because people can sniff out True. the bullshit.
0: Authenticity. That's that's what it is. Yeah. We need more we need people that are authentic. They're doing it because they really believe in it and they really want to do something. And I think if we start doing that with rock and roll, you're gonna see people resonate with something because it's real and the intent was true to them. To me, that's so much more
1: powerful. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, and and, and I think, we need that. I think kids need that. I think kids need to hear someone be authentic and say what's on their mind and, and stay core to the, what their beliefs are. That's the core of a rock star. The party and the lifestyle. I agree. You know that that's that's all like you know, ancillary type of things that surround that persona, and that person chooses to do that. But you know whether it's you know David Lee Roth or whether it's Nikki Six or whether it's you know whomever. You know their 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 core was. You know, Nikki talks about recording the first album and doing what he done in his vision. Dave Lee Roth, in an interview, answers a question, no matter what the question is, how he wants to answer it, you know, which is, which is I- 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 a rock star in itself. I mean, you can ask him whether it's, you know, about his current tour that he's going to do with Kiss or what his favorite serial is. He will answer the question how he wants to answer it. And, you know, that element, I think that attitude needs to come back.
0: I agree a hundred percent i am reading the uh Black Crow book right now, and Chris Robertson was out of his fucking mind, and I love level and <laughs> the stuff he said was just fucking i don 't know if you could do it, not it
1: yeah, and that's what I mean because you know people that like you, you mentioned you know everyone has taken a sign and you know, people are afraid to be controversial because are you alienating people? You know, you see it all the time on social media. Oh, you know, he's a conservative. Oh, he's a liberal. I got to boycott, boycott. No, you don't. Don't take that joy away from you by listening to their music just because you don't agree with what they say. Whether whoever it is, you know, they can say what they want. Uh, the video I just put out has a twist ending. Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Where a girl hooks up with another girl, and, it, and I've had a couple comments that are just so ridiculous on that. I just can't believe people would be offended uh, by it. And just goes to show you, people just want to fucking argue about everything, now.
1: Yep. Yeah, everyone, everyone is kind of <laughs> waiting to be offended, which needs to stop.
0: I think. I think at the end of the day, man, people get so caught up in drama and they're arguing on Facebook. And to me, the reason, I mean, it's just people are just fucking arguing all the time and bitching and bickering and complaining. And it's just so draining. And the reason why I got to music is because it, it made me feel some kind of emotion. It made me feel better and intensified emotion. And to having that connection with music, it, it, that's the reason why human beings are, are attracted to it. So to me, I just want to get back to where you turn on a record and you makes you feel some way <clears throat> and because that transcends everything and I I just really think that's what's kind of missing and that's why people are holding on to these heritage jacks and people are gatekeeping new bands right now they don't want to let them in
1: well hopefully as we continue you know into 2020 and beyond that starts to change and I believe it, it's it's just I think and I've said this before. It's right underneath the surface, and I think it's right there. It's right there. There's so many bands that are gaining traction, you know, and so many bands that are that are being listened to by younger people now. That it's. I think it's it's close. It is so close.
0: I agree, and it, you know, the, with this Queen movie coming out, and then the Molly Queen movie came out, it turned a lot, a lot, a lot of really young, like 13, 15, 16 fifteen, sixteen-year-olds on to this kind of kind of guitar music. And I think there's a place for everybody. There's a place for hip hop, rap, pop. There could be a place for rock. And, you know, this tour is selling out fully fifty thousand people. And that really says something. That's a lot of a lot of people throwing it out. Um and then I'm gonna do my best to blaze a trail this year. I got a lot of great songs on the record and and I'm gonna be promoting my shit and working hard and I and I know there's gonna be a a couple more bands to catch on and then i think we're
1: going to have a movement before we know it i believe that 100% your record is one that i have mentioned as one of the ones that i've been looking forward to uh, in 2020 when i heard that you were doing a new record i was ecstatic i'm like this is awesome because i love the material thank you man yeah yeah i loved your material and biter's and i you know i was been watching This stuff on youtube i'm like this sounds this stuff sounds awesome you know, and like you said, it's got that cheap trick, that T Rex element to it, that influence to it, and it's yeah, it's perfect, man. The, the new single rocks. I can't wait for the new album. Congrats on the tour, you know, with with Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett. Really cool that you're doing some stuff with Jesse Malin, who I'm a big fan of. All you know, ever since Degeneration. Thank you for coming on the podcast.
0: Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Probably got off topic instead of talking about. some real shit but sometimes you got
1: to you know what that's the whole essence of the show man is the conversation of rock and where we're going and new music and how new music needs to punch through so i don't think we got off topic i thought the conversation was great and i appreciate it oh good good okay great well thank you for
0: having my back man i appreciate the support i really do
1: absolutely man i can't wait to see you here in chicago and uh real quick too anything that you're working on like after that tour is, you know, in the fall and the winter, I don't know if that tour is going to be continuing on after that. You know, are there any plans after the stadium tour?
0: There's going to be, we're going to be doing a lot. We're getting submitted for tons of tours. We're getting submitted for festivals. So I think I'm going to start. Things are get stuff should be starting to get confirmed
1: in the next two or three months. Cool, man. So Just stay posted. I will definitely do that. Once again, This is Tuck Smith from Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. This is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. We will talk again soon. Take care, everybody.
0: Thank you, guys.